1: It's three months since adult recreational use cannabis became legal to buy in the state of Connecticut. So just how well is it going? And was it the boom that everybody thought it would be on day one? Plus we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott Smith. On January 10th, 2023, adults in Connecticut over the age of 21 were able to legally buy cannabis for the first time in the state for recreational use. It brought the state in line with neighboring states that have had adult use sales for a number of years in some circumstances. The decision to allow adult-use cannabis sales and who can and cannot sell it has not been without controversy, with a Social Equity Council having been set up in the state to try and make sure that communities previously affected by illegal cannabis situations were not put at further disadvantage but were able to capitalize on this new industry. To kick off the adult-use sales in the state, the existing medical marijuana dispensaries applied for hybrid licenses and became the first to sell to the adult-use market, so 3 months on and how is it going? I caught up with the Botanist Cannabis Dispensary in Montville, one of only two dispensaries in eastern Connecticut currently selling to the new adult market, and spoke with Ben Tinsley, the Vice President of Operations for New England, from the parent company, about how things are shaping up. Ben ever so many thanks for the interview. Thanks for being on the podcast. Acreage Holdings, of course, here in Connecticut, known as The Botanist. We are at the Montville facility, which, of course, three months ago was one of two in eastern Connecticut to start selling adult-use recreational cannabis. How's it going?
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct, Brian. And uh, j- just really quickly, a footnote there is not only do we carry the brand name, The Botanist, we also have Prime Wellness of Connecticut and South Windsor as well, which is a business that's held under Acreage Holdings. I'll be perfectly honest with you. To answer your question more directly, things have been going tremendously. Been really happy with the the community's engagement and participation with recreational sales since we've opened up. And for our team, what's been most gratifying is that we've been able to maintain the customer service that we've been known for with the medical cannabis community throughout this launch, which was, I believe, a a major concern for a lot of the patients that we served at the outset. But it's been absolutely wonderful, and we're really happy that we've been able to provide increased accessibility to this plant, either medicinally, therapeutically, or, or really euphorically. So it's been a great couple of months.
1: Let's talk a little bit about figures. We're not going to drill down to them too much sort of thing because obviously they're constantly moving. The Connecticut Department of Consumer Protection is tracking medical marijuana sales as well as adult-use cannabis sales as well. They are releasing those figures on a monthly basis. As we record, this is is actually just before the three-month mark, so the the three-month figures aren't out. But the the two-month figures for February show incredible amounts of, of sales there combined, obviously medical marijuana and adult use. Were you surprised by the figures, or was it sort of in your sort of general forecast that you hoped it would be somewhere up there?
0: Yeah, I'll be perfectly honest with you, Brian. I thought that there was actually going to be a larger boost economically from a financial perspective. In my experience, I've I've been working in the cannabis industry for nearly 12 years, primarily in Colorado. In in, in most adult-use state launches, I've seen a much more significant impact to cash. And I don't know if there's anything that's drawn back for Connecticut for any particular reason, but I was actually a little taken aback that we didn't see more recreational customers day one. Now, obviously there's always some concern about traffic and and wait times and things like that. But just personally, for me, I thought we would have seen a a larger outpouring day one and really an even greater momentum than where we are today. So I was actually taken aback that it wasn't greater.
1: That said, obviously, Connecticut is a smaller state, obviously population as well. So, I mean, Colorado, a lot bigger. So, I mean, I'm guessing there's a lot of factors that play into that. You know, I was at the launch here at the Montville facility on 10th of January. It was still quite packed. There were people lining up. But yeah, your point is well taken because I was actually a little bit surprised myself because I thought I wasn't going to be able to park the car. I thought I was going to be parking yeah. down the road. So your point is sort of taken. Do you just think it's a case of people are like, yeah, I'm just going to take my time with this?
0: Yeah, I think it might be an acclamation period. You know, to your point, and one, we loved having you here on, on launch day. It was really was a lot of fun. We've actually beaten our launch day totals and transactions a number of times, which in my experience, necessarily the norm, right? We would see that one big, day or two days where we'd set records in regards to transactions, but we'd actually been steadily been growing since then. You know, there's a lot of variables at play here, but I think an acclimation period was probably necessary for folks to be aware of what was happening. And I believe the state gave us roughly 30 days notice as to when we were going to open up. It, It left us scrambling a little bit to ensure that we got the appropriate communications out. So maybe that had a little bit to do with it. But I think that what I'm learning now is that maybe it's just a The state and its residents, its patients are just getting more comfortable with the idea that recreational cannabis is now for sale. And we're starting to see more people come in and visit with us.
1: I'm going to say because for so long, of course, if people wanted it, of course, they had to slip over the border to a state where it was available if they weren't a medical marijuana patient. And I suppose even though when the state does say, yeah, that's absolutely fine, there's like, mm.
0: Yeah, there's certainly some opportunities for us to work with the DCP. And we, we definitely want to strengthen those relationships as this market continues to develop. But your, your point is well taken. You could travel to Massachusetts and buy, in many instances, more product based on the allotment. Potentially better product because the the environment itself is more sophisticated. It's been around longer. They've had access to different manufacturing methodologies and things of that nature. But, you know, we're going to partner with the state. I think that they did a really smart thing in creating an allotment to protect the supply chain so as to have some level of control over what was going on in the market to ensure that our patients still got their medication while simultaneously getting the recreational Guest you know, a taste of what the market could look like into the future. But really, for us, it's partnering with the DCP and the state of Connecticut to find those efficiencies and opportunities to continue to grow the market. And, you know, we're really happy with what the DCP has done up to this point, And we're really proud of the market today. But we definitely see that room for opportunity moving forward so that we can keep a lot of those folks that you just mentioned, Brian, in-state so that we can dedicate more tax dollars and revenue to the things that the people of Connecticut could really use in their day-to-day lives. Just
1: clarify something for me as well, because it was something that went around in the media. There was some stories saying about, yeah, well, some of the products that you can buy in Connecticut, they've got different names. They're not maybe quite the same yep. things as, you know, that people have been able to get elsewhere, maybe in other states. And, you know, people get used to something that they like. It's a case of better than the devil you know, isn't it, sort of thing. Do you think that might have played into part of that as well? Because like we said, there's many variables as well, but people like things that they, that they know.
0: A hundred percent. I don't know if that's what played into it. I, I'll tell you this is that, You hit on a very important point nationally in the United States, right? And really globally, when we talk about a lot of lineage and strain names and things of that nature, there's a lot more information. There's a knowledge base that's been built based on that type of terminology, those naming conventions of which weren't adopted in Connecticut. Now, whether or not that really had an impact on whether or not people were coming and shopping with us, I couldn't tell you. But I am a proponent of sharing that information because it is accessibility to knowledge. It gives the patient and guest alike an opportunity to do their own research prior to coming in so that they can gain some level of confidence in what they're ingesting and putting in their body. In a lot of instances gives them a chance to self-diagnose some of the things that they're doing in order to improve their lifestyle or their wellness, whatever it may be. So I am a, a proponent of adopting lineages and strain names as They're globally adopted, but I do understand that Connecticut, you know, the state of Connecticut and the DCP tried to take a very formal approach from a pharmaceutical perspective. I think heighten the awareness around cannabis dispensing as medication and being consistent with what a a traditional pharmaceutical environment looks like. So I give them kudos for doing that. But as the business evolves and as the market evolves, I think we need to give guests and patients alike access to more information. And that's one of those ways we think that we can provide that access is giving lineage, giving more of the botany of the plant, more of the biology of the plant, some more of that specific information. So I wouldn't say it necessarily deterred us from sales, but I do think it's an opportunity to improve the experience for those folks that are shopping in the state of Connecticut
1: let's talk about medical marijuana because of course initially that's what you were a medical marijuana dispensary you still are yeah, a medical.
0: I, I want to make sure we're really clear about that we are still primarily a medical marijuana facility we have always prioritized our patients we understand how important this medication is to somebody who can barely get out of bed in the morning or somebody that is struggling through cancer treatments. We are here for our patients. We're very excited to be able to provide accessibility to guests, but I do want to reiterate, we do pride ourselves in being the premier medical cannabis dispensary in the state of Connecticut. We were recently named that by uh, NECAN, and we stand by that. We, we live and breathe it every day. So I don't mean to cut you off, Brian, but we definitely are the number one provider of medical cannabis in this state. And we plan to do that into the future as well.
1: The other point I was going to make is I believe it's called a hybrid because obviously now you sell this for adult recreational use. But talk to us a little bit about the medical marijuana side, because I'm guessing you've seen maybe a little bit of a tail off of some of the medical marijuana patients because there is like a bit of a licensing payment thing, you know, for that. And of course now it's a case of, well, you know, it's legal to buy it. Have you seen this like a little bit of a shift in some of those people going, hey, well, you know, this maybe fits my lifestyle that I don't necessarily have to come to your store the hours that you're open for medical marijuana because obviously there's certain things. Talk to us a little bit about that, if you would.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I'd actually say it's going the opposite direction for us. One thing I want to clarify for you, Brian, is that the botanist up to this point, I think in the last 18 months, we, we've largely taken care of medical patient license renewals and applications. So we provide four by two. $25 off discount for coming in and shopping with us, which essentially puts that $100 fee back into your pocket. So we try to make it as easy as possible. Again, accessibility for us is number one. It's king. To Back to your other question is that we've actually seen a different swing. Albeit the larger population of medical marijuana card holders has dropped in the state, we've actually seen our patient numbers go up here at the facility. I think there's a number of reasons for that. First and foremost, I think we are the best operation and the best customer experience you can have in the state of Connecticut. I'm unsure of what our competitors are doing every single day, but I think we were able to prove to patients that we are consistent in what we promised and that we are prioritizing, trying to get you to the front of the line and ensuring that we can hold as much product and as much medication as possible so that when you can get in, you get exactly what you're looking for. The total population in the state in the last 18 months, two years has steadily been dropping. I think at one point in time, there was roughly 58,000 people in the program. Today, I think it's below 47,000. And that has been a precipitous drop really over the last 18 months for a number of reasons. I don't think I could outline them all in this uh, this podcast, but I certainly think that uh, we've seen the opposite Uh, with a lot of our competitors switching to hybrid and not necessarily being able to handle the traffic. We've seen those patients come over to, to our operations either in South Windsor or here in Montville. So it's really been a blessing for us, where I think in some markets you do see the medical program slip by the wayside to a certain degree. We really do want to partner with manufacturers and growers to continue to develop selection and quality for our medical patients. I think at the outset, Brian, to be perfectly honest with you, the cultivators and manufacturers switched a little bit in regards to their production priority to recreational product Again, I think they thought it was going to be a larger kind of outpouring of support at the outset. But over time, we want to continue to work with them to bring back some of the products that may have come off our menus for a little bit and and suggest and help them innovate their next product line for patients.
1: One thing I want to put to you, of course, I believe it was nine medical marijuana dispensaries basically kicked everything off on the 10th of January. The medical marijuana dispensaries that basically did kick off the whole thing. Competition is going to come. You know that. We all know that. You're going to be opening up another store. Let's talk about that in just a second as well in Danbury. But, you know, what does the horizon look like for you? How do you deal with that extra competition as and when it starts to really sort of like ramp up? Because it's going to be happening very soon.
0: Competition is already here right? And I think initially we, we didn't just open with nine, we opened with eight. And Danbury was accidentally, I think, listed as one of those hybrid locations uh, for sales when in fact they hadn't been approved locally yet, but by the state they had been approved. Competition's always going to be around, right? And, and our objective is to get better as competition continues to creep into the market. We're going to be steadfast in our values. Our idea is that we want to provide the best possible experience For our medical patients and recreational guests we need to be incredibly intelligent about the product that we're buying and ensuring that we have the right product for the right time and we've got to continue to find the right people to put in our facilities you know we're a people first business we always have been we always will be so i think that there's a sharp focus on people process and product as hybrid operations have come about We still need to work with the DCP about how we can continue to improve the experience, that you might see in other traditional established markets, if that makes sense. So being able to see your product before purchasing it, potentially smelling that product before you purchasing it. Those are the things that are really going to give the experience its competitive advantages, right? How you can create that one-off experience when you walk into our facility that you know exactly what you're buying and the effect it's going to create and knowing that we're here to help you. So I don't know if a whole lot's going to change other than we're going to continue to work with the DCP to figure out how we can continue to improve the customer journey so that we can set ourselves apart from that perspective and become one of the best retailers, if not the number one retailer in the state of Connecticut.
1: Talk to us a little bit about your Danbury store because as you said, you alluded to it earlier, it was accidentally listed as one of the nine medical marijuana dispensaries you know, back in January. It will be opening soon. You know, Even as big an operation as you are, like you said, it takes a lot of effort to make these things happen. I mean, you can't just open up a store overnight talk to us about how that's going
0: yeah although the work in danbury is going exquisitely i don't i don't even know if that's the right word exquisitely it's been tremendous working with danbury in the state of connecticut as it relates to danbury we're actually behind schedule due to our own fault we were required to do some construction work prior to our medical license which we didn't get done in a timely manner and right now we're rectifying that we're doing some curb work we're installing some street signage to improve vehicular flow but we expect that to be solved by the 15th of april you know so we'll be opening up hopefully hopefully and fingers crossed here brian right around 420 so we can celebrate the grand opening of that facility with hybrid operations and use 420 as a means of getting that word out to everybody so we're really hoping right i'm really hoping that that's an opportunity for us. But it really is an arduous process, right? You want to make sure that you you dot every I and cross every T as it relates to your application, your site plan, your business plan. And you want to make sure that the city that you're working with, not just the state, but the community, is super familiar with what you're trying to accomplish, and, and you stick to that plan. But again, the city of Danbury has been absolutely tremendous to work with. They have they have a wonderful zoning department. You know, it's on us to get the construction work done as quickly as possible. But Danbury is in a unique situation in that it doesn't necessarily have the same physical facility impediments that we have here in Montville, where our sales floor is a little bit smaller, our parking lot's not as big. Whereas Danbury, we've got roughly 4,200 square feet of sales floor space with nine registers, And it really is a beautiful dispensary. It's a tremendous place to come in and buy cannabis. So we're really looking forward to the launch. We're hoping between the 15th and the 20th of April will be our sweet spot. And we'll also be going to extended hours there as well. So in Montville, because of the influx of customers and patients, we've actually extended our hours and added another day so that we can create an experience that doesn't feel rushed. You can get here after work in a timely manner. And we plan on adopting that exact same playbook in Danbury once we open up.
1: One of the things uh, I know about you as well, and I don't know if any of the other sort of like uh, marijuana dispensaries do it, but you used technology very much to your advantage so that people can effectively purchase and then come and pick it up. So it's sort of like that clearly helps, you know, the general flow of things. Was that important, the technology aspect?
0: Oh, it's super important. And I, I think it's uh, it's highlighted by the idea that we can't do a whole lot with product, Brian, inside the store. So you know, traditionally, especially where I come from, you and I could sit down and I could show you the product that you're going to buy, right? I can allow you to smell it. We can really have a different type of conversation. In the state of Connecticut today, we, we don't have those same luxuries. The website is really an opportunity for us to show you information, give you some photography of what you're going to potentially be buying, the pricing, all the information, so that it is a quick in and out experience here. However, We have such strong community ties that we have folks that want to come in and just say hi to us and spend some time with us. We've been a part of their lives for a number of years. We don't necessarily want them to hop online. We want them to maintain those relationships with our technicians, with our pharmacists, and with our dispensary associates, because that's what this is about. It's a people business. It's about the people that we employ and those folks that we can help. And albeit technology is very useful, I think you and I could argue technology is very useful in our everyday lives, but there's some things that we would like to do, you know, a little bit slower and a little bit more methodically without the use of technology. So we cater to both of those audiences. We know folks want to get in and out, don't want to spend a whole bunch of time here, but we also recognize that we do have long-term relationships. We have people that have been shopping with us for years. You know, when, when you're having a one-on-one conversation and and you've been getting your medication and your regimen from a specific person, there's real trust there, right? Especially if it's had a, a significant impact on your life. I'm really happy and proud to say that the, the team at the botanist from start to finish have had an impact on people's lives. And I don't want to take that away from anybody everybody deserves the right to come in, have a conversation, talk about the kids, how are the dogs doing, so on and so forth. So it helps us in both ways, right? We can get you in within two and a half minutes if you put your order in online. But if you want to spend 10 or 15 minutes catching up with a pharmacist or technician that you've known for five years, six years, we want you to feel comfortable doing that too. So it's great, but you know, brick and mortar, shaking hands, making eye contact, there's no substitute for things like that. But certainly technology our e-commerce platform being able to shop online is is tremendously helpful for a lot of people and it certainly can get you in and out of the facility uh, a lot faster
1: question i want to put to you first time users when they come here we get all sorts of perceptions about things you know rightly or wrongly because of information we hear from people or, or we read are they surprised at what the dispensary looks like because you know when you think back and you talk about cannabis and it's like, people think all sorts of seedy things about it. But you come to these facilities, they are ultra modern. Do you still get surprised by people? Do people go, oh wow, I didn't think it would look like this.
0: I think less, less more now than ever, right? Because people have been exposed and have seen pictures or videos of things online. <laughs> And really what the the industry has been trying to do over time is normalize, right? Is we want to create an environment where you're comfortable so you don't have to go into somebody's seedy basement where there's no lights and it feels very illegal. And that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to create an environment that's one, warm, two, welcoming, and three, you can have some fun in, right? And you can feel safe. I think that's the most important thing. And a lot of the stuff that you see operators doing is trying to create those spaces and separate themselves from the competition. We've talked about this now several times. It really is about the experience, right? It really is. A lot of us are selling the same flour. We're selling the same vaporized products. A lot of us have the same edibles. But it's the people and the experience that really separates your time with us versus a competitor. And that's really what we're trying to achieve. You know, some stores are more modern than the others, right? I think some are still kind of stuck in some of that seedy basement high back door dealings type situations. But the goal is to create a safe and warm and welcoming environment so you don't feel like there's a stigma around this product and that it can be something that's a part of your normal everyday because that's what this really is. It should be a part of your normal everyday routine and wellness program.
1: As we said we're here at the Montville branch of the Botanist and here in Montville recently it was announced that the town will place a moratorium on any further cannabis places opening up i think for about 6 months and then they will review that clearly that's good news for the Botanist uh, because obviously uh, you know that stops any competition at the moment but then that said you know what does that actually mean for for people at the end of the day because yeah they can come to the Botanist but you know, if other towns do a similar thing, then people are going to have to travel again, and maybe they may have, you know, transit problems and mobility. Talk to us a little bit about that. Because like I said, yeah, it's great for you. But is it great for the customer at the end of the day?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, right? I'll agree with you. It's good for us, for sure, being the only shop in town. That doesn't mean that we aren't welcoming competition. But I really do think it's a mechanism for the city to make sure that they're doing the right thing and evaluating a new, let's say, variable in their environment, right? They really want to make sure that this makes sense for the city, that there's no negative effects that come from it. You know, so I really applaud Montville for making that, that decision so that they can really, take in consideration the interests of the community and that maybe we don't need another one in Montville maybe one can satisfy and if we meet certain service level expectations and we're providing the appropriate product We may not need to open up another shop, but we're not against other shops opening up. We think competition is good. We think it's going to force the market to become more innovative, create better experiences. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all after. Maybe in the interim, it may seem as though we are trying to limit accessibility, but I don't think that that's what the city is trying to do. I don't think that's what the state is trying to do. This is a new industry as we talk about recreational sales. I think what what the state, what the city What a number of other other places in the country have done is put moratoriums in place so that they can effectively evaluate how these affect their communities and environments and then make decisions after that 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 are in the best interest of the folks that preside there.
1: Ben Tinsley, it's been a pleasure
0: talking to you. Thank you for your time. Brian, always good to see you, buddy.
1: Since recording my interview with Ben, the Connecticut Department of Consumer Protection, who monitor both medical and adult-use cannabis sales in the state, released the combined sales figures for March showing a total of $22 million in sales for that month, up from $18.4 million in February, showing a slow but steady increase in cannabis sales in the state. A spokesperson for the department said they do not make revenue projections or set sales expectations and therefore couldn't answer our questions as to whether they thought the numbers so far were either good or bad.
0: Looking for a -a one-of-a-kind experience this season? Visit Wicked Tulips, the place where happiness blooms. Imagine walking through more than 700,000 tulips of all different shapes, colors, and scents. You can find just that at our farm in Preston, Connecticut. We're open seven days a week through the month of May and entry is ticket only. Ready to tiptoe through the tulips? What are you waiting for? Just go to wickedtulips.com for more.
1: Cookies, 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 cookies Come and celebrate the grand opening
0: of the ARC Eastern Connecticut's new cookie factory. Discover why people can't get enough of our classic crunch chocolate chip cookies. Visit the cookie factory at 22 Route 171,
1: Woodstock, Connecticut, and support us as we walk in partnership with people with intellectual and developmental disability. The ARC's classic crunch chocolate chip cookie, more than just a great cookie. Visit thearkect.com and find out more. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. A new report aims to make the regional greenhouse gas initiative more effective. So what does that mean for Connecticut? Edwin J. Vieira of the Connecticut News Service reports. The Acadia Center's report finds since Reggie's creation in 2009, states like Connecticut have seen a 50% reduction in carbon dioxide emissions from power plants. States in the program saw a 91% decrease in coal-generated electricity and a more than 800% increase in solar and wind energy. But Amy Boyd with the Acadia Center says Reggie could do better in some areas by investing 40-50% of their proceeds for environmental justice in communities burdened by the harmful effects of emissions
0: and allow EJ community members to participate in such decisions and as I said transparently track and report actual data that shows whether those investments are delivering the results that they are intended.
1: Other recommendations include having additional air quality monitoring for nitrogen oxides, or NOx. Bridgeport's Harbor Station plant ranked low on a list of NOx-emitting plants, despite emitting 969 tons into the air yearly. The EPA's new Good Neighbor Plan aims to cut smog-forming NOx in a slew of states, including Connecticut. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. Connecticut State Comptroller and State Treasurer have issued a financial literacy challenge to get people of all ages to think more about their finances. April is Financial Literacy Awareness Month and coincides with tax season. Eric Russell is Connecticut State Treasurer and said the financial challenge event looks at easy ways to deal with our money and our finances. Checking your credit score and opening a savings account. There are
0: obviously various types of savings accounts. There are a host of different ways to kind of save for the future that are positive for individuals and their families, opening a retirement account, creating a monthly budget and establishing a savings goal. So uh, we thought this would be a fun way to engage people for everyone to kind of look reflectively about what they're doing and how they could make some small improvements.
1: Numerous studies have shown that high school students, like most Americans, have a low level of financial sophistication, especially when taking out student loans for higher education and the long-term financial effects it has on them. And U.S. Senator Chris Murphy visited the eastern part of the state recently to provide local leaders and businesses with an update on his work in Washington to support the state. Speaking at a Chamber of Eastern Connecticut luncheon, Murphy addressed several issues from transportation to gun violence as well as other topics.
0: This year I'll be working a lot on drug pricing. We have a lot more work to do there. I'll be working on immigration reform. My hope is that the bipartisan group that I work with is going to take a crack at trying to fix our broken immigration system. And, of course, we continue to do work to bring costs down to try to get this inflationary cycle to a full stop, really important here in Connecticut.
1: Murphy sits on the powerful Appropriations Committee and says he'll also be looking to address the fentanyl drug issue in the country by looking at the budget for Homeland Security to try and stop the influx of the drug into the U.S. across its borders. Murphy was sworn in on January 2013 as a U.S. Senator and has confirmed he will be campaigning for a third term in the 2024 elections. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms, on demand, and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.